Attention Cannabis Radio listeners. Do you suffer from chronic pain, anxiety, depression, or PTSD? These are the most common qualifying conditions for medical cannabis. Did you know that in many states you can visit a doctor online with no waiting rooms, no drive, not even an appointment needed? See a doctor right from your smartphone. It's fast, convenient, and it'll save you money as most states don't collect taxes on medical cannabis purchases. So what are you waiting for? Go to MarijuanaDoctors.com slash Cannabis Radio and get $5 off your on-demand medical card evaluation. Dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space, CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. We're back with another episode of Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. I'm not going to just say thank you for joining us because I say it every time. It's so cliche, but I do appreciate it, really, with all the sentiment I can possibly give. Uh, my next guest is the best-selling author of Viral Hero, How to Build Viral Products, Turn Customers into Marketers, and Achieve Superhuman Growth. He's a serial entrepreneur with seven successful exits, there you go, and a few crash and burn failures. To his name, he serves now as the CEO of Groveloam a cloud-based software suite for cannabis businesses. I'm here with Travis Steffen. Travis, thanks for being with us here on Blunt Business. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So let's start talking about growth flow, first of all. You told Warren Bobro at Forbes, he usually always gets the interviews before I do, right? Quote, many companies both in and outside of our sector outsource support to other countries or to third-party teams that do things really cheaply and follow a script. We've done things differently by almost exclusively hiring former industry operators in these roles. They know the lingo, the pain points the customers have, and how our products can solve them. It was a significant investment to hire domestically located specialists for these roles, but it's paid off in a big way. Beyond that, we try not to pay too much attention to what the competition is doing because we have no visibility into how they make decisions or how those decisions are working for them. Lot right there. Talk to me about the adoption of the software and this customer engagement overall with Growflow, Warren or uh, Travis. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. I mean, first and foremost, that's that's uh, it speaks a lot to our strategy and what our team's been able to identify and accomplish. You know, support has been one of the biggest things that we identified early on. So I was not the founder of Growflow. I actually came in. I was an executive advisor for a couple of years for the two founders who are still with us and and uh, our, our massive uh, value adds to our product team. Uh, but when we came on, we basically tried to identify what was the reason, like the, the key reason that customers would choose Growflow over everybody else. And resoundingly, everyone said support, support, support. Um, so we decided to, to over-invest in that department and, and basically say we want to create an environment in which our customers feel like they're talking to you know, their peers, they want, they, we want them to feel like they're talking to people who really know their, their issues and aren't just, you know, being trained in exactly what to say and, and, um, you know, conflict resolution and things like that. We want them to actually add value. Um, it is part of our product. That's how we treat it. Uh, it's part of what you pay for as a Growflow user is, is to be you know, serviced by um, people who know their stuff and they know exactly why you're experiencing what you're experiencing and, and what the fixes are. So, you know, the biggest thing with customer engagement is the personal touch, the, the white glove approach. You know, we have real people that are walking 
you know, our customers through every single step in the process and answering questions. Some of them are not technical. You know, some of our customers bought their first computer to use a solution like ours because they haven't really been technical folks before. And then on the other end of things, we have uh, customers who are just from other industries and they're very smart and technical people, but they don't really know much about, about cannabis at all. And we can fill both of those gaps with that team. Um, so it's, it's very, tell me about personal. that first of all, cause really that is the part I would go into is we've had some people that have kind of made the point of you know, support through software is a suite, but the technology is lacking, but you're telling me you have a mixture of both. Yeah, definitely. So our, I would say that our engineering team is, is far and above our strength as a, as a company. Um, when I came on board, that was the first thing that we realized could be a big advantage. So, you know, we're, we, we basically brought on folks from Google, from Microsoft, from Tencent, from, you know, some of the top tech companies in the world that have been uh, doing things right at scale. And that I think based on what we saw um, was the big issue with most of our competition was they basically hit a wall that presented them with scaling issues. And for uh, a team, a company like ours, who has to function very efficiently across state lines, across state systems, um, across jurisdictions with, with dramatic differences and rapidly shifting legislation, you know, it was something that we never wanted the customer to feel. We also had reports of, you know, week-long downtime from some of the competition and, and things like that. Um, and we, were, we basically said we don't want to be anything close to that ever. We want to be on the opposite end of the spectrum. So we want to be known for reliability. So we invested a lot in talent on the engineering team from other successful tech companies and basically said we're going to be a tech company first and we're going to train these people in the industry and in the customer. And that was the biggest difference and the biggest undertaking that, uh, that we've gone through to date. And what about the advanced level of communication that you can have? Uh, really, it's what I'd like to know is what about the awareness or the knowledge and understanding that those that you're trying to help to adopt to the software? Because I also get a lot of word about how there are some people that say, well, the industry, you know, you kind of, do you have to dumb it down a little bit to make it so it is absorbable? Or is that really just a myth? You know, it's it's not a myth. Um, we've found that that honestly, the the more simple, the easier that we can make things. Because switching a solution or adopting a new one from scratch, it's like a heart transplant for a lot of these companies. So um, we basically have to go through that process and say, what could be the most painful thing here? What could be the most confusing thing in this process? Um, if there's no way to simplify it, how can we make sure that there is somebody on the phone with them when they hit that moment? Um, because that's effectively where we would see the, the vast majority of people drop out if they're confused, if they're frustrated, if they, I mean, because all these people are trying to switch software during the middle of a day when they're also simultaneously trying to transact business. And it's sometimes not realistic for them to go in and problem solve by themselves and go through help articles and all these different things. Um, so the, it really does still come back to that personal touch. Uh, and then at the end of the day, our kind of North Star metric as a company where a lot of others will focus on their own revenue and, and you know, the things to make them a successful business. We actually have outcomes like customer outcomes um, for our, you know, our target market as our North Star metric, like how much of an impact can we make for them? How much value can we generate for them? 
then our success as a business just is a byproduct of that. One of the things you've actually done recently is launch the Grow Frillo live marketplace to seamlessly connect cannabis buyers and sellers through compliant transactions. And this will enable wholesalers to grow businesses and revenue and retailers to streamline the buying process and discover new products. So uh, briefly talk to me about this new platform and what does this do now creating this real real time atmosphere? Uh, is it just really just to create support that is uh, much more of a more of an instant transaction? It's something that's just it's quicker response time. You know, those two things are true. Um, you know, the response time and, and the instantaneous nature of the transaction. But there are a couple other important things here. So our customers are asking for this for quite a while because with a lot of the marketplace first solutions out there, um, you know, not to name any names, uh, mm -hmm. but but with, with all those solutions out there, typically you have to do double and triple entry. Things are not being updated in real time. You're using... Um, CSV imports, like things like that. So a lot of times your customers will order from you if you're a grower or uh, a processor or something like that, they're going to order from you and you're going to be out of stock. And it's just going to create a bad situation for your potential customer. And sometimes if you create those bad situations, they're going to go elsewhere. Um, so being able to, seeing as we already manage the inventory on both sides of the transaction in real time, being able to uh, provide a bridge between those two parties to actually make that transaction in the moment ensures that no one's ever placing an order where they don't have inventory to, to back it up. Um, everything's being updated so they don't have to have an employee that's keeping those, those books manually and spreadsheets uh, because it is a real problem. It does happen quite a bit. And the only reason it hasn't been solved yet is because no one has been able to connect the dots um, in a different way. A lot of, a lot of other operators in the industry are, um, like us, they're effectively chasing feature parity. They want to just clone the other solution and try to take a slice out of their business. Whereas we basically said, all right, what does the customer want? What are the problems they're experiencing? How can we make them more successful? And we let those answers guide our product roadmap. And that's what, what led us to this solution. So Travis, we're going to go to commercial. And one of the things that uh, when we were setting up this interview, it, what, what got me to, to go ahead and let's say, let's go ahead and follow along aside from Growflow to bring on, bring you on the program was that you were willing to go and speak about what the industry can expect to see this year and beyond when it comes to statewide and federal legalizations, new policies and laws, the issue, what is DC going to do when it comes to helping the cannabis industry out now that we have a switch of administration? So I got a couple of questions to ask you about that. I want to get your take on it after we come back right here on Blunt Business. Stay with us. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take anywhere treat. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We're back with Travis Steffens, the CEO of Growflow here on Blunt Business. As I said before the break, 
And Travis, I already know you're chomping at the bit to go ahead and answer about this because we don't know. I don't think anybody really knows what Washington, D.C., our policymakers, the people we have voted in office in this last election cycle, whether it was the presidency or the or the Congress people that we have now in office, of whichever persuasion, political uh, slant they might be, the overall is really right now coming out of the pandemic. You know, we're still waiting to, to find some economic relief for some parts of the sector. Cannabis would absolutely be that. It was talked about as far back as March. I remember I've quoted many times a, a Yahoo Finance article that talked about the advantage of. So here's what I want to ask. The Democratic candidates this past election cycle, they call for decriminalizing and rescheduling marijuana. Which, and every article had to say marijuana because it's a proper keyword, cannabis, okay, through executive action. With support for legalizing medical marijuana and expunging past criminal convictions for cannabis-related offenses all on the table. Democrats, quote, believe no one should be in prison solely because they use drugs, the platform stated. Democrats will decriminalize marijuana use and reschedule it through executive action on the federal level. That is what they said. Okay. TheVerge.com reported that advocates are willing to accept the delay. There's mounting pressure on President Biden to ensure decriminalization doesn't fall off the agenda entirely and mounting anxiety about whether the new president will make good on his party's platform. So for me, we've had guests, not on this program necessarily, I've had some people who have asked about that. And we've had others on other network on other programs here talking about being cautiously optimistic. That is the phrase du jour when it comes to the industry and what will happen, which is really interesting because, of course, you know, having politicians handling the business of trying to go and help the business is something I'm, I'm very cynical, questionable. And, you know, just like I am with the media, I'm very questionable. And I'm just very cynical about a lot of things, just not a lot of trust I have. Now, what you have said is you expect to see happen almost immediately as a removal of the moratorium on major banks and payment services being able to work with companies like GrowFlow that don't actually touch the plan. So do you feel cautiously or optimistic about the party following through and why? I, I, I am no longer cautiously optimistic. I would say I'm, I'm very optimistic about the party following through. I think it's just simple math at this point. I do expect there to be a delay uh, because of COVID. Um, I expect that that uh, the moratorium on banks and and some of the other restrictions um, are in all likelihood going to be delayed because of that reason. Um, but as we start to see some of the daily infection uh, numbers continue to fall as they currently are, it will become clear and present again. Um, I would not bet that it will occur within the first hundred days, um, but I would place a bet that it will be within the first calendar year. Um, and it's, it is, again, just because of simple math, the, the federal government will want a slice of the tax revenue that states are currently enjoying um, in a post-COVID and, and post-stimulus check type environment um, in order to potentially uh, reopen and, and better fund some of the government services that have suffered uh, during this period of time. And because of the fact that there has just been, directionally speaking, statewide legislation that's passing rapidly at this point, I don't expect, even on like across party lines, there will be much op opposition to uh, federal decriminalization. 
within this calendar year. I think it's something that a lot will welcome. I mean, at this point, 75 plus percent of Americans do uh, live in a state with varying degrees of legalization. Um, and, and many of those states, you know, differ in their party affiliation. So I want to play um, devil's advocate here. Everything you're saying is absolutely correct. There is complete logic behind all those statements you just said. I, we think we can all agree with this, and I think we can have a consensus among many listeners here on the program. But what I'm going to tell you is being devil's advocate. Let's just say, okay, one of the first executive orders President Biden did was to remove the Excel, the, uh, Excel pipeline. But without any opportunity to go ahead and replace the oil and gas that's going to be lost, regardless of the jobs, okay, I don't want to be political about it, but the replacing of those jobs or replacing of those resources with something either green or renewable without having something ready to replace it. It was more of just a reflex action to do that. This is the same thing here where I feel like using cannabis legalization would be a reflex action. And it's not as if we haven't had bills when it comes to safe banking act, when it comes to the more act, when it comes to the state's act, where we've had bills that were with bipartisan support that have been pushed. But now here's where I have to come again as devil's advocate. And again, I'm taking it for the verge.com. I'm just trying to go through a mainstream source to bring this up. And here's what we've had so far since the change uh, of, you know, right now, since we've had the, the election in December, Democrats and House of Representatives passed the Moore Act, which was I still think was a symbolic gesture during a lame duck session of Congress. Understood. It, but again, the Senate side did not pass the bill and it would have legalized marijuana, expunged the criminal records of people convicted of marijuana related crimes. But now again, and this is just playing devil's advocate, Travis, but to make good on pledges of executive action, Decriminalization advocates will need support from the White House, not just Congress. And Biden's position is much less clear. This is from The Verge. I'm going to quote. The White House did not reply to a request for comment from The Verge about whether Biden would move forward with the reforms outlined in the Democrats' 2020 platform. But there's plenty in his background to make activists worried. And this is where I come from on this. And for everybody to, 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 to say, oh, this is this BS, you know, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. I can't think that way. I'm going to stay cynical. Once it's passed, then I'm going to care because investors care about it. People in Silicon Valley, people that have, you know, the banks, all these people are clamoring over if he's going to do it. It's not a matter of when. Right now, it's an if. It will happen someday. But will it happen now, as everybody hopes, because of what's happening now? So here's my point here of the background that President Biden had beforehand. He was once a leading voice in the war on drugs in the 1980s and 90s. He did change his position on marijuana during the 2020 campaign. Candidate Biden went from not supporting legalization at all to supporting decriminalizing the drug and leaving up the states whether to allow recreational use by the time he was the 2020 nominee. Biden said also, quote, he would, quote, reschedule cannabis as a Schedule II drug so researchers can study its positive and negative impacts. So, again... The flip-flop does not do me any good, but do you feel like you're getting more of a gut feeling that this is going to go ahead and go in our favor as an industry, or is there something more you feel like there is to, to give you promise? Yeah, so um, just a little bit about uh, kind of my background and my come from here. So one of my prior companies, we had 
uh, I want to say at its height, about 45 lobbyists on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in an industry, it was in, in gambling. So it, it, um, it was not directionally the, like the same as cannabis whatsoever. It now, was is this for much... online gambling you were doing? Yes, that's correct. Which is really um, a great space right now. I actually got money right now invested in the Golden Nugget as a matter of fact. Sure, so, sure. I mean, and right now it's a, it's a great time because the government is looking at online gaming to make up tax revenue. And there's been a lot of progress there, et cetera, et cetera. But Which time, could take the place of legalization of cannabis because I think gambling could get passed first. It's possible. I have not yet. And I'm a member of a lot of the the groups, the advocacy groups on that uh, side of things still. And directionally speaking, there's been really uh, a lot less in terms of progress and mentions and so forth. Um, And I don't expect it to have the same bipartisan support um, based on when, you know, a lot of the, the legislation was passed to uh, criminalize the transactions at the banking level. Mm -hmm. But what we found by working with a lot of those lobbyists, the priorities of most politicians, especially like a first term president, the priorities are bar by far, number one, get reelected. Number two, don't embarrass your political party. Number three, get the numbers that you need so that you can fuel your reelection. And number four, do what makes sense, which, you know, what makes sense, obviously, is massive decriminalization, but that's pretty far down the list. Now, the reason that those things, those three things are true is, in my opinion, for the first time, those are all lined up as uh, things that would not hurt the candidate if he were to move forward uh, on decriminalization. Whereas in the past, in the 80s, the 90s, even the 2000s, in all likelihood, it would be something that the other party would come after him for. Um, now that that same thing cannot be said because of the fact that there's been such bipartisan support at the state level. Um, and it's been largely for different reasons. Now, we're also a big supporter of the Last Prisoner Project. Um, so I'm I'm super excited that uh, that they did make mention of a lot of these uh, decriminalizations being retroactive in terms of of uh, prison sentences and so forth. Uh, but what's what's I think most interesting is the fact that the delay was cited as COVID related in a lot of the conversations that I'm hearing um, and the numbers are starting to come down a little bit, uh, li- like little by little and the, the frameworks and the, the infrastructure for vaccine distribution uh, are starting to finally be set up, albeit in a delayed way. Um, that to me signals that, you know, it's, it's a matter of time before uh the the new administration is able to shift their focus to the financial and economic impact of the coronavirus, which, you know, I wouldn't expect it to be a mutually exclusive move to legalize both uh, or to criminalize cannabis while also legalizing online gaming um, for intrastate commerce. Well, so, let me ask like, you those about two this. Things I expect to occur. You brought up financial and this is a recent story from Bloomberg talked about this. And this is where I think is the, is the hangout. And this is for any politician out there. So when it comes to big, to big alcohol, big tobacco, which obviously do do a lot of lobbying themselves, the amount of spend that they do to keep, make sure they can go and keep everything operating as they want. Tobacco, the lobbyists there spent $27 million last year in Washington, D.C. to politicians. $30, billion, $30 million was from the beer, wine, and liquor industry. Marijuana, anybody want to guess? $4 million. And I think that's the big problem. 
and I, I, I hate this is the problem, but there is not enough money going into these politicians to sway their interest, regardless of what lobbying groups we have out there, which are great, by the way. Thank you. I don't want to mention names, but I think there's got to be more money brought in. in, in is, is there that kind of cash that can come in to fill the politicians' pockets? You know, you might be right. Um, I mean, honestly, lobbying is a, a massive aspect of politics. Um, if there were a lot less progress, I would be on that team as well. Um, what, I, what I've found, we actually have had several serious conversations uh, at Growflow about um, hiring some lobbyists in specific states for specific issues. But as we started to see certain things develop, we realized this would actually be a waste of money because all the legislation is already going in our favor as it like as it's proposed um, by and large. And, and honestly, the reason that things get shot down is because the breadth of the legislation is just not great enough for the other party. Um, so the reason it's it is quite an anomaly to see that politically speaking, especially with what would be expected to be such a hot button area. Um, but I am very optimistic that it will happen in 2021 because of the fact that and honestly, there is so much money already in cannabis that, you know, hiring lobbyists is not an unfamiliar um, you know, mechanism for most of the folks who have money in these these operations for you know, large private equity funds, for you know, all of these institutional investors. They often will hire lobbyists or, or will push their their portfolio companies to hire lobbyists. If directionally speaking, legislation is not going in their favor, um, but because so little has been invested into lobbying, um, and these folks know, you know, it's it's by and large like when there is an issue or when there is some sort of push that's needed to get something, you know, into session or across the finish line. That's when lobbyists typically will be hired by, by um, you know, various firms. It's just it's funny because I have I expected that to be necessary. Uh, when I came in and and uh, became the CEO of Growflow, but it's it's been pretty shocking that it just hasn't been, and everything is passing. So um, if it's not the first hundred days, like I wouldn't bet that it'll be the first hundred days because of the fact that uh, COVID is just dominating every single news cycle. After you know a lot of these numbers get slashed in half again, um, and I'm I'm crossing my fingers that that occurs. I think we're going to start see, see, seeing some focus shifted now. I don't yet know in what form that will come. I expect the federal government to want their slice uh, in some way, shape or form. And that's why a lot of this stuff is happening. Uh, but because that's kind of the underlying um, reason, you know, and they, they're able to put the window dressing on and say, hey, you know, we don't want people in prison for this. Let's just be honest with you. It's about money. It's always been about money and it's always been we can't go after this money if it will cause us to get voted out of office. And the first time it's those two things are aligned. Um, so I expect it to happen and I expect it to happen relatively quickly for that reason. But where is that money going to come from? I mean, is there anybody right now that has that? Because I mean, right now you just mentioned that you had you were working in, in the deal to uh, legalize sports betting. And even yeah. OK, for instance, uh. Shannon Adelson, right? The, the mm -hmm. casino magnet based in Vegas. It, mm -hmm. Alone by himself, he put out $10 million of his own money to move gaming mm -hmm. forward in Texas. And uh, honestly, like, that's that's where it comes from. I mean, you know, the kind of money that they need to sway, I, I think for us to go ahead and to continue to think that, you know, oh, they'll do the right thing, I think that's a pipe dream. I know that's not what people want to hear, 
I know that's not a, a good feeling, but I think if the money is raised for lobbying efforts to Congress, we get legalization. The money's got to get spent first. And, you know, there's, there are certain people that are willing to go ahead and invest right now through venture capital measures, but the money that's going to be spent on lobbying, there has to be a budget on that. The industry has to put in on that and put and fork it out. It's not the right way to do it. It, it shouldn't have to be the way to do it, but I feel that's where we are. What do you say, Travis? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's not a surprise that um, there have been a lot of, you know, the casino lobby, for example, uh, and Sheldon, Sheldon Allison that you, you uh, mentioned, um, who I believe just passed away yeah. uh, the other day. Um, you know, they dumped so much cash into uh, legalization in a variety of ways, but in a lot of ways, they were also behind uh, the the push to pass the UIGEA back in 2005, because the live casino lobbies were not sliced in to most of the online gaming uh, companies. Those were largely offshore in Malta, Isle of Man, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And now, like, they basically said, okay, we want to have a a stake in this. And so they were pushing in a lot of ways, but they were never getting bipartisan support there. It was such a, a hot button button issue for, um, you know, the conservative party because of, you know, a lot of religious reasons or because of, you know, a lot of uh, other like moral issues. Like they were never able to get sweeping support that would, that would want any presidential candidate to align him or herself with that particular issue. So in that way, it's fundamentally different. Like the lobbyists typically get hired as ammunition to say, how can we put pressure on um, politicians to do something that they otherwise wouldn't organically do? Um, what I think we're seeing is, you know, a lot of that investment isn't going in to something like decriminalization because it feels like that's organically going to happen anyway. Now, I do expect, uh, for example, we've had conversations about um, lobbying on the state level in some cases where there are some anti-competitive practices going on, um, but that's like specific policies in a specific state. And, um, you know, we haven't moved on it yet because that particular state hasn't yet been kind of up next for us uh, on our radar of, of opening new jurisdictions. But at the federal level, I don't expect there to be, um, you know, a ton of, of recoil from you know, uh, one political party or the other. I expect there to be some pushback from certain, um, you know, parties that have some sort of an issue in some way, but I do not think it's going to be anywhere close to a, a majority. I imagine there will actually be a super majority when it comes to, to passing a lot of these things. Now, there is a thing, well, just to give a little bit of notice, that there is some action already being done within the industry to try to go and push this forward to get a lobbying effort together, to get a big machine behind trying to get legalization. So, obviously, there is an interest in it, but, again, I think there's got to be a lot more to get D.C. to get behind this finally like they should. So, there is grassroots momentum. Uh, just recently, there's a new lobbying group that was announced February 8th, bringing a diverse group, multi-state operators, uh, Cure Leaf and Cannabis Growth reported. There's a trade association for hemp and special interest groups. Uh, several law firms are a part of this, PAX Labs. And the industry is going to give the industry one voice on its most important issues, access to banking, tax relief, and the long-sought-after goal of national legalization. Um, will there be things that will be left out, some of the cultural diverse social issues that are coming across opportunities uh for disenfranchised people to be a part of the industry as well these are things you're gonna have to be asked about it but again you can only get these people to listen if they listen to money 
I think that's the only thing they'll respond to at all. And even then, I don't know. But, you know, this is where this conversation has to get stirred up. And, and Travis, yeah. I'm really glad that you let me go ahead and do this where we could talk about this. Because I think that was yeah. the one thing that was the ultimate goal was let's bring this conversation up. Let's get this debate started. And let's say, okay, we just overall, something has to happen where lobbying has to be pushed and there has to be a leaning on D.C. to make all the things we want happen. Because we know what the other side of the mountain's going to be. We know exactly, you know, it's the uh, the uplands, the uplands uh, past the summit. We know what the other side looks like, that the, the silver lining's right there. We just got to get past this. And I don't know how to get that, but we can talk about it. And that's what I hope we did. I want to go and uh, talk more with you about your book because we haven't had a chance to talk about that. Uh, your book is titled Viral Hero, How to Build Viral Products, Turn Customers into Marketers, and Achieve Superhuman Growth. Available anywhere you want to find, find books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all your outlets. We'll talk about that after a short break. I'm here with the CEO of Growflow, Travis Stephan here on Blunt Business. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. I'm back with Travis Stephan, CEO of Growflow here on Blunt Business. Travis, was there anything you wanted to say before I mentioned, before I wrap that up? Because I know we had to go right at the break, but I wanted to get your take on what we were talking about just before about, you know, if we need to just really amp up the lobbying efforts, is that the way we're going to be able to get DC to do what we need them to do? You know, it can't hurt. Um, uh, personally, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I would pull triggers on that just yet. I think I would wait until. Uh, the COVID numbers went down quite a bit because I don't know that you're going to get anybody, regardless of lobbying, to uh, poke their head above water for long enough to focus on anything but that. Um, you know, especially at you know with the, the the new presidential administration, that's really how they're being measured right now in, yeah. in terms of what their response is to that. Uh, but but by and large, after that, you know, we're going to see them trying to like just present answers to the economic fallout that has occurred. I think you're going to see some politicians that are really aligned with cannabis because of uh, the economic benefits. You're going to see some some uh, politicians that are really aligned with cannabis because of um, an answer to the opioid crisis or, uh, you know, an answer to humanitarian issues and prison system and things like that. Um, in all of those cases, their their ideas of what to do next seem to be more or less aligned. Uh, so I, I don't know that lobbying will necessarily be something that has to happen, uh, but it could be an insurance policy. Pretty well said. I, uh, I'll, I'll take that, definitely. Let's talk about your book. Again, Viral Hero. I'm going to read the whole name of the book again. Uh, 
how to build viral products, turn customers into marketers and achieve superhuman growth. So you had this book described as quote, if you think viral marketing only refers to making videos or memes to get shares on social media, there's a reason you found it difficult to grow your business. So what are some of the issues that cannabis businesses, because this is an overall marketing book. So what can cannabis businesses take away specifically from the book that would be definitely important and inherent to them? Yeah, it's funny because this book was actually published before COVID happened. Yeah. Um, and, and now most people are pretty familiar with the dynamics of how a virus spreads. It's one person who's currently infected that comes into contact with or touches or is around other people who um, are susceptible to being infected. Now, if you think about virality and, and marketers in general have used different names for a lot of what I've described to be virality, but that's really at its core what it is. Um, it's if you come, if you are currently infected or, or currently use a product and you come into contact with others in any way, whether it's social media or in any other way, communication, collaboration, um, you know, transactionally, anything like that, if you come into contact with others and expose them to the potential value that they could reap by also becoming users of that product, um, that is in effect the same mechanics that a virus uses to spread. Um, and so basically I use that to uh, break apart 12 different viral engines that uh, entrepreneurs or, or product managers or heads of growth can use in order to better understand why their customers spread their products to others. Now, the big secret here is to not make it feel like they're marketers. Like if you make it feel like someone is actually augmenting their own experience and augmenting the, their own value that they get from using a product by being able to use it in conjunction with others in some way, and that's actually a better experience for them and a better experience for the people that they expose the product to, uh, they're going to grow your business for you and they're never going to know that they're your best sales reps. Um, so a great example of this would be GrowFlow's live marketplace. For example, uh, we have our wholesale customers who are wanting to get more customers. We have our retail customers who are wanting to buy better products that sell through faster. Um, so they actually get value in their business, the value that they're seeking by using our products with others and by exposing our products to others. The same thing happens when um, you know, our customers invite all of their staff to use GrowFlow in certain roles. You know, that's collaboration virality, for example. The first one I talked about, I actually named open virality, which refers to a more marketplace environment. Another example of that would be you know, the, the App Store. Um, you know, another example of that would be Amazon, for example, any two-sided marketplace. Now, collaboration virality, where we're inviting other, you know, the customer's employees to be exposed to our product, they're getting more value in their organization by centralizing their tool stack, by using the same thing, creating standard operation, operating procedures around everything they do uh, within the same tool. There's a lot of turnover in cannabis where, where employees of one company will move to another company, and we're counting on that as a way of familiarizing and training um, our customers in a very deep way so that when they move to a new operation, they feel the instinct to want to bring GrowFlow with them. Um, so those are a couple ways that cannabis companies can start to think about how to, to turn their own customers into marketers. 
without them even knowing it. Just being able to augment the experience of their customers in some way by ensuring that they can use products with others that they know. Well, now how can they get the book? Is it on you Audible? Can buy the book on, yeah. Uh, it's not yet on Audible. That's the new, uh, the next thing that we're, we're making the push for. Uh, okay. The publisher was pretty convinced that we wanted to be out in market for a little while first. Okay. Um, so we will, we are actively working on that, but it is everywhere else books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, go find it. Viral hero, Travis Stefan is the author and he's also CEO of Growflow. Uh, really, Travis, thanks for making time to go and talk to us on the program. Real quick, before we're going to wrap things up, how can people can reach out to you? Uh, the website is growflow.com. That is correct. Growflow.com. Um, so you can reach out to us through the website. Um, you know, if you're a Growflow user or not, you can reach out through the website. Our support team is, is geared up to handle all that. Um, you can reach out to me through social media. I'm just at Travis Steffen basically everywhere. I'm not a big time social media power user at this point, um, but, uh, but I am on there and you can connect with me through there. Fantastic. Well, thanks for making time. Really great. Appreciate you taking time out with, with all the questions I gave to you pretty heavy subject and like i said people get here this program and you know i just don't i don't cut corners and i just don't hold back on things like this so i'm glad you were willing to go and come on the show and talk to me about the uh the political end of things not really political but the policy end the legalization end the really it's just that what it was that canary in the coal man they always talk about all these stupid cliches it's the thing we're, we're waiting for it's it's charlie's uh golden ticket to the chocolate factor. We need right. this to happen. This will open doors for so many, so many different things. Obviously, people are just clamoring to wait. And, you know, people, I don't know, some people are very optimistic that say, you know, oh, this is going to, we have the change now. You know, it's going to happen. We're going to get the change. Well, I want to be, I want to be cautiously optimistic like everybody else out there. But again, we have to look at the, we got to look at reality and say, okay, can we, can we sway? The public opinion is already there. It's overwhelming. But, of course, D.C. does take quite a bit of while to understand that or actually listen to the people out there. Don't listen to money. That's how I always feel they are about it. Uh, just what it feels like it is. It's an organized kind of deal. So, Travis, thanks for making time. Really appreciate it. And thank you, listeners, for listening in for another edition of Blunt Business. We'll talk to you next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, 
but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.